And in Revelation chapter three, verse seven, Jesus gives a word. And, and before we even talk about this word, what we must remember is that in Revelation chapter one, Jesus is reveals himself as one who is walking in the midst of the lampstands. And so Christ's presence dwells among his church, dwells among his people. What we have to remember is that we are, we are not like deists. We are not like the false religions who, who worship a God who is just a concept. We serve the living Jesus Christ who is glorified, who is exalted, who is sovereign, and who is the head of all of his churches and these, this is one of the seven churches, but what we, have to, what we have to always remember, you know, it's not something that we never deny theologically if we're a Christian, but there's a, there's a point in which we, we want to remember these truths and instill it in our hearts and meditate upon it. And what is that truth? That we serve the living Christ who is exalted, who is sovereign and in control of absolutely everything that comes to pass. And Jesus Christ is also working out all things in history for the glory of his own name and the advancement of his own kingdom. And while we look at the world and we see the tragedies that are going on, while we look at the world and we see that this month is geared towards celebrating sexual immorality, while we acknowledge and can complain about the gas prices, and and we ought to mourn, right? We ought to mourn over sin and and ungodliness. Uh, But while at the same time, we have to have the conviction that the early church had is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. He is exalted. He is reigning. He is ruling currently, and he is advancing his kingdom throughout the world. And in Revelation chapter one, it says that his blood has washed us right from our sins, and he has made us kings and priests to our God. Ever since joining this prayer meeting, I have have not been able to escape that terminology that he has made us priests and kings to our God. And what does that mean? He has made us priests. He has made us the very people who are called to intercede, to have access to God and usher in his kingdom as his priests and also as his kings, doing his will, ushering his kingdom on the earth. If we believe the Lord's prayer, right, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are asking the Lord to usher in his kingdom and he uses his church to do that. It's his organic body where he is filled with his presence Jesus Christ being the head, filling us with his spirit, his enablement, his giftings. And we are the very instruments which God uses to accomplish his purpose on the earth so that Christ is glorified. We recognize that we don't have the ability in ourselves to do what we want, to do what we desire. We're asking for revival. We're asking for outpouring of God's spirits and an outpouring of God's spirit. We're asking that God would fill us with ability. We're asking that God would, would give a fire and, 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 and give an earnestness to the ministers of God. But that only comes from the sovereign Lord. And our prayers are, are showing our poverty of spirit and asking God to accomplish that. And so now we have a word from Jesus Christ to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. It says this, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I have in in the in the life of the church, I've been preaching, I just preached through the did a series on the seven churches of revelation. And it's amazing how Jesus gives a revelation or an aspect of himself to each 
of the churches. And he reveals himself as the one who has the keys, meaning he has the authority. He is seated on the throne. He has the keys of David. He is the, the promised king who God promised to David in 2 Samuel 7 that, he would, that, that David would have a seed to his throne. And he reveals himself as the one who is able to open doors. He reveals himself as the one who's able to shut doors that no man could shut. And he's also reveals himself as the one who is able to open doors that no man can open. He has sovereign authority to do all that he wills, right? The psalm, is, the psalm says what our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Ephesians 1 tells us he works all things according to the counsel of his will. That is the Christ that we serve. That is the Christ that we are acknowledging is the Lord of the church, the one who has the authority to accomplish his purposes on the earth. We serve the Christ who is able to do supernatural things, to do the things that we know that in and of ourselves we cannot accomplish. And before Christ gives his exhortation to this church, he reveals himself as a sovereign king. He reveals himself as the one who's able to open doors. And that's, that's a prevalent thing that even, even, even how the apostle Paul prayed, he prayed, right, for open doors. And what were those open doors? Doors for the word of God to advance. Open doors for the kingdom. Open doors for men to know Jesus Christ. And he says here, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. So Christ, he's the one that's in control of this open door. The Philadelphia church didn't open this door. Christ opened that door. But he tells us, and no one can shut it. Because, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Now, this little strength here, I don't believe is talking about necessarily their spiritual strength. Because look at what it says. They, were, they, they, they kept his word. They are people who have not denied his name. In verse 10, it says this, you have kept my commandment to persevere. So what does he mean by little strength? In and of themselves, this is a little church with little ability. Perhaps they're, they're not people who are known in society as in, in places of influence. And most commentators would agree with this, that that he's speaking to this church. And these are not people who are, you know, have influence in the Roman Empire. They're not people who were these big names, these big shots, these big personalities. Here we have a little church with little strength. But the encouragement is this. Christ has opened a door for them. Christ, in his sovereign rule, has opened a door for this church. And this open door is going to lead for those who are the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you. Regardless of how you look at that, the reality is this, is that God has opened them a door to reveal to mankind that God is with these people. He has opened the door in such a way where God is going to show through this church that they worship the living God. And what I love about this is that it reminds me of Acts chapter four. Remember when Peter and John stand before the Sanhedrin and what did they notice about them? They were uneducated and untrained men but they had been with Jesus. Jesus gave them power and authority to preach the gospel. And Jesus specifically chose the foolish things. He chose fishermen. He chose a tax collector. 
out of all the kinds of people that Jesus chose to be the representation, the foundation of his church, the 12 apostles, he chose in the world's eyes, nobodies. And Paul picks up on this in first Corinthians. Remember when he says, not many of you were noble, not many of you were wise. Why? So that the foolishness of God could confound the wisdom of men. And that encourages me because I'm a nobody. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a person in Union Grove in North Carolina. I'm not a conference speaker. I am not an eloquent man, but I know this. I, I worship a sovereign Christ who is able to open doors so that the word of God can advance. And even, even us in, in our places now, you know, we, we know this, that the narrow is the way that leads to life. And so true Christianity is always walking in the narrow way. And we find ourselves with little influence. We find ourselves oftentimes with little strength, little ability, little giftedness. You may not think yourself well in your own eyes, but what we have to remember is having the conviction that God accompanies his faithful and prayerful people. And so how do we, how do we live in light of that? Well, we know that we know this, that God's sovereignty didn't lead these people to be passive. God's sovereignty encouraged them to be faithful, holding fast to his name. And we also know the same apostle Paul who wrote Romans 9 and Ephesians 1 is also the same apostle who said, pray for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul wanted recognize that he did not have the ability to be the kind of apostle that God called him to be. It was his working, his effectual working, working in the apostle Paul so that the gospel would advance. And Paul, you know, we know our own weaknesses and sometimes we ask for prayer because it's the right thing to do. But when Paul inspired by the spirit asked for prayer, I think it was because he was, had a deep conviction that it was through the prayers of his people that God was laid hold of and, and doors opened. And what we, what we often do is we, we have to, brethren, we have to recognize we have this, we have a sovereign Lord who has the authority to do. We know that revival in and of itself is a sovereign work of God. This was not, this, this was not just conjured up in the, in the apostle's mind. And then throughout church history, when we read of John Wesley, when we read of George Whitfield, when we read of Jonathan Edwards, when we read of all of these men, these were not men who just conjured up a revival. These were things that God opened doors. The sovereign Lord raised up laborers with the word of God in their mouth and they spoke. They were filled with the spirit and they were nobodies until God came. And that is, that is what, what we, we need more than anything. When, when Paul told the Thessalonians that he knew their election by God, why? Because the gospel didn't come in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance or much conviction. There was an empowerment by the sovereign Lord accompanying their ministry that without it, it would not be accomplished. And so when I look at this church or when we look throughout scripture, we see that that. Jesus told us, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because they recognize their poverty. They recognize their utter need. They recognize their dependence. And it draws them to, to call upon God. It, it, it leads them to a utter dependency on the work of the spirit. You know, 
I, I, we, we could often say very with cliche, you know, that we are weak. <laughs> you know, Paul, Paul said, I boast in my weakness. And we could, we could say that all day long, but, but is it a deep-rooted conviction that leads you to actually rely upon the strength of God? And if that is the case, one of the aspects or fruit of your life is going to be a life of prayer. Because we can theologically ascribe to the fact that we're weak. We could affirm that we don't have strength. We can quote John 15 and say that we can do nothing without him. But our prayer life and the way we rely upon the spirit of God truly demonstrates if we really believe that. And brothers and sisters, you know, what, 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 what we see here is that what we, what we need most is what only God can give. And so when we come to these prayer meetings uh, throughout, throughout, you know, these weeks as, as we gather to prayer, but even more importantly, even in our own churches to, to, to pray and to seek the face of God, to, to come with a deep conviction, knowing that we need the sovereign Lord to open doors if the kingdom of God is going to advance. And I just want to end with this so that we can pray. In Acts chapter 16, Paul was, was, was seeking to, what's interesting is that when Paul and Barnabas got the call by the Holy Spirit to go, they weren't necessarily told where, at least we're not told in Acts chapter 13, but they went and they obeyed. And as they obeyed, the spirit of God opened doors for them. And do you remember it came to a point in Acts chapter 16 where they were seeking to go to Asia. They were seeking to go to Bithynia. They were seeking to go to places. They were already had their minds. They were seeking to advance the gospel of the kingdom. But it says the Holy Spirit forbade them. He was shutting doors. But what happened when the Holy Spirit forbade them to go to those places? He received the Macedonian call. God opened a door. He had a vision. And Macedonia was saying, come and help us. And what happened? Then they go to Macedonia and God was already preparing a woman named Lydia to receive the things which was spoken by the Apostle Paul. And see that, brothers and sisters, is, is the encouragement of how the gospel is going to advance, is, is, is pleading to the Lord to make those doors apparent, but not waiting passively. It is by obeying the Great Commission, and it is also by seeking the open doors, asking the Lord, pleading for the Lord to open those doors. And those who have not denied his name, and those who continue to seek with a deep-rooted conviction that it is God who must open these doors, brethren, then, then we see God answer the prayers of his people.